Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me for the final episode of your guest co-hosting appearance, Definitely Carissa. a bummer. I have really I know. had a good time. This has been really, really great. Oh, well, it's been a, an unbelievable time having you on. And I like didn't even realize it until I started making the statement. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is her last... I didn't either. And I'm like, oh, wait. Well, oh. Shoot. Well, it's been a joy to have you on. And once again, want to make sure that everybody goes and listens to your story, your episodes um, with the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, episodes 79 and 80, where you and your husband, uh, Cameron, you guys share your story. Uh, it's part of our sexual betrayal series, and I love the ministry that you guys are doing out of it. Um, but real quick, Carissa, before we kind of like dive into what we were going to talk about, would you just tell us where people can follow the the stuff that you guys are doing, the ministry that you guys are are participating in? Yeah. So really, for the most part, I uh, started a blog. So um, I have a blog. I've got resources up there. So that's just carissasprinkle.com. And then otherwise, I share a lot. I have a blog Facebook page. So that's just uh, Facebook, you know, with Carissa Sprinkle blog um, on Facebook. And then I'm also on Instagram, just Carissa Sprinkle on Instagram. So that's where I kind of share tidbits about our journey or a new blog post about a specific topic that you know, I may get a lot of questions about, so, um, or he may share his side of the journey. So we just try to be open and helpful and just give people a place to go um, with great. all that. That's great. Well, and you're also, if people want to connect with you, they can connect at uh, Nothing Is Wasted Community Groups. Nothingiswasted.com yes. slash community groups. Yes. Where you guys, you lead a couple and Cameron leads one there. So yes. It's been great meeting people over there and hearing people's stories over there. So yes, jump yeah. on over to the the groups. We'd love to be you and give you a safe place. Um, but before we get into the interview, um, we've actually been getting questions um, mm-hmm. yeah. at hello at nothingiswasted.com. And so we want to kind of just take this time um, as often as we can to just dive in a little deeper on some of these questions. So I've got a question and I think you may have some good insight into this, Davey. So I just want to share this and uh, hear what you think. It said, um, I was thinking of being a missionary, but don't know how I could do that with a wife and kids. However, Mm. if I were to remain unmarried, how do I battle sexual temptation? Mm. Wow. It's a loaded question. question. All right. I'll give a couple of my thoughts and I want to hear your thoughts after that. Yeah. Um, First of all, um, I think you can absolutely be a missionary with a wife and kids. Um, I think if God is working on your heart to call you to go into any kind of mission field, whether it's here in the United States, whether it's abroad, whether it's a, a first world country, whether it's a third world country, that um, if it that God could be also calling uh, a spouse to the same calling. Uh-huh burdening that yes. person for the same type of ministry. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if God is calling you to marriage, because marriage is a calling and uh, being single uh, for your life is a calling as well. And if God's calling you to marriage, he is going to go ahead and put it on your spouse's or your future spouse's heart to enter into that ministry with you. And I will say, you absolutely don't want to get married to somebody who doesn't share that same burden and calling as you, yeah. as you do. 
right. matter what it is, because part of marriage mm-hmm. is supporting and propping up each other's calling, God's calling on each other's life. And if you, if your calling is to go into a mission field, you want to make sure that your spouse also has that calling. And so I would trust the Lord that yeah. he's going to bring the right person along. If you feel called to marriage, he's going to bring the right person along. And I wouldn't compromise your calling um, mm-hmm. in order to uh, maybe uh, satiate some desire that you have um, uh, physically or emotionally or otherwise. Uh, then my other thoughts would be, uh, the second part of that question is, if I were to remain unmarried, how do I battle sexual temptation? Um you're going to have to battle sexual temptation whether you're married or unmarried. Absolutely <laughs> um, true. We're going to be marriage, talking about that today. Yes, yeah. exactly. Marriage yep. does not cure so true. the battlefield of sexual temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I've, sometimes I think it gets ramped up even more mm-hmm. when you do get married. More complicated. Uh, for, yeah, mm-hmm. for lots of reasons. And I think yeah. one, of the, one of the foundational reasons is because the enemy loves to destroy marriages. And mm-hmm. he's, he's not creative. The enemy has the same tricks that he's had for thousands of years. And he will try to divide marriages with the temptation of uh, sexual betrayal or um, entering into places that are, uh, that are that sex outside of God's uh, ways and his plan for sex. And so, yeah, it's such an easy way to do a lot mm-hmm. of damage quick in a marriage yep. and single, but that all you carry that into a marriage. So the Absolutely. same, things that you would do single and the accountability and the growth and working on um, yourself and your heart and your relationship with God, those things will all be the same in marriage. And yeah, I mean, and I think as a single person, this is a great time to do ministry knowing that you don't have um, the family unit underneath Mm -hmm. you right now. Yeah. Um, so it's a great time for that or a great time to work on yourself and really um, prepare yourself for whatever's coming. Yeah. And at the same time, like you said, God truly can um, help you thrive in ministry and in leading a family at the same yeah. time, Absolutely. even if it's overseas, even if it's, you know, anything, it's it's very possible. Every season that you go through when it comes to your relationship status has its advantages and disadvantages, particularly totally. in terms of ministry. You're right. When you're single, you mm-hmm. are unencumbered to be able to do as much ministry as you possibly can do. And that's what I encourage singles mm-hmm. to do. Just dive headfirst into ministry. You will be able to accomplish more in this season than you will when you are married and then when you have kids. You'll th- yeah. But then marriage is one of those things where God calls two people to be together because he believes and sees fit that those two together can accomplish more for the kingdom Mm -hmm. than they Mm -hmm. would be able to apart. And so then he moves you into a season, potentially if you're called to it, then he moves you into a season to be, um, to, to be married with somebody. And then that has its own, again, its own hindrances to ministry, but Mm -hmm. also its own, you know, fuel to the fire to add some ministry. And then kids as well, you know, we're at stages with our kids where we're teaching them how to not just be consumers, but how to help and serve other people, how mm, to reproduce. So yeah. And so, you know, it takes some time to get to that place where you can <laughs> teach them. And now, you know, we're, we're hoping our vision for our family is to be a an army of ministers together as we move forward. But but it definitely takes a lot more time than if it was just Christine. It does. It's its own discipleship journey in yeah. your own home. And yeah. Yeah. Well, um, before we move on, I just want to share a review that we got on iTunes. Um, This was so, so good. And anytime you leave a a review on iTunes, it just helps 
um, share more stories with more yeah. people. Mm-hmm. So we love for you to do that. If you could take a quick moment, moment to do that. Um, this one says, I have been listening to your podcast since the beginning and followed your story with your late wife while it was happening. I feel it really prepared me for the recent trial infidelity mm. leading to divorce in my marriage. I look forward to your podcast every week as it's such an encouragement. Keep sharing the gospel and this amazing podcast. Mm. Wow. I, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much Thanks for those so much reviews. For sharing yeah. that. That always encourages us, and um, I know it also helps other people as it gets into their hands, and and you guys are sharing this. And so while you're sharing this, please make sure to mention us at uh, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. Again, our Instagram handle is Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. If you're not following us, go over there and follow us. We do some behind-the-scenes type stuff, and we also do some giveaways, and, um, and so we would love to engage with you there. And uh, I want to make sure that we don't waste any more time before we step into this part two of this interview because it's powerful. And yeah, so in this yeah. in this part, they really talk about a lot of the practicality of their healing journey mm-hmm. after being divorced, separated for seven years, and then reconciling. And we talk about how it wasn't just all daisies and roses. There was a lot of stuff they had to work through. And so this is just yeah. a powerful, yeah. powerful interview. Uh, so let's lean in and let's listen to my conversation with Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. Jeff, Cheryl, it's so great to have you guys back on the podcast with me. Thanks, Davey. We're diving into part two, and I know we're joking around about this, that we're going to try to cover the last 20 years of your <laughs> of your life and your marriage in 40 minutes or so. Um, but it, what a wonderful first part of our conversation where we got to hear a lot of your story, got to hear the re- some of the redemptive things that God has done and restoring your marriage and uh, I know it's encouraged so many different people who have listened to that. If you have not listened to that first part, make sure you go and listen to that first part before you jump into this one, because now we're going to dive into some of the things that you guys discovered and things that you did as you um, as you got remarried and began to build a, a, a new foundation for your marriage. Can you guys just kind of think back you know, to the very beginning stages of this new marriage and what were some of the things that you guys had to do to... Uh, make some adjustments or rebuild uh, from from what had taken place in your marriage. I don't. I don't think he had gray hair the first time. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> These listeners can't see my gray hair. I know that's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, she moved into my house, so that that was an adjustment. And then, <laughs> you know, think about it too. Prior to that, like I had the girls half the time, so it would be me by myself with the girls here on like a. Tuesday and Wednesday night, and then, you know, first, third, and fifth weekends. And then same thing with you. I mean, you had them at your house, and then all of a sudden, we're all under the same roof, and no one gets a break, which is great. When we loved it, we wanted it that way, but there was definitely some adjustment. Well, and especially after seven years. So we were apart for seven years, but we lived five minutes from each other. So we, you know, saw each other all the time. But as far as our living, you know, we did separate lives. I mean, he had his, you know, day, we didn't have a normal visitation schedule. We kind of went by what our decree said, but we also were very conscientious about what the girls needed. And we were pretty open to, you know, just switching it around or whatever. Hmm. I, I would say getting up in the mornings, my normal morning routine, like I would get up and come out and Cheryl was already in the living room in her chair reading God's word and journaling. And uh, you probably didn't like the interruption of me. And then it, what it did for me was it challenged me 
because she was getting up before me. And then for you, why don't you say how? Well, I think, you know, going back even for a minute, I, I think after being apart for seven years, although we saw each other a lot and all that, we didn't, our lives didn't under, in our lives did not intersect other than the kids. And so, I mean, if, if I'm honest, uh, I think both of us were kind of scared yeah. to start over. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I had come to know the Lord two months after our divorce was final. God put me on a path to restore the marriage like we shared in the, in the first episode. And I learned to be in God's word a lot. I had no idea what Jeff was doing. I knew he uh, was involved in, in a church and I knew that he was involved with the youth group and stuff like that, but I had no idea about his personal relationship with Christ or what he was doing. And so I just kept doing my same thing. And to be honest, for me, it, it was tough moving into his house in a sense, because I felt like, um, in a kind of like I didn't belong there because he bought the house when with the girls. And so that was a little bit of an adjustment, but I was like super excited and happy. Um, but I was a little, um, it was a know, total, <clears throat> it was a total man cave. <laughs> that was probably part of the adjustment, right? Babe? Yeah, there were a lot of like, um, you know, uh, Indian paintings and, um, the, you know, the pool table and things like that. We still have the pool table. Yeah. It still didn't feel yeah. like the, the, a woman was in here. Thank goodness. Yeah. But you know, that was, I think we were both a little bit scared. And so I think it was, um, a tough thing to try to now intertwine our lives once again. And then we had the hurts and the pains from the first marriage and then the waiting years for me, I mean, I had to wait a long time, seven years, almost six and a half years to restore. So I think we were both a little apprehensive, even though we were super excited to get back together. Well, so in some ways it, it's it, probably a lot like, you know, obviously there's some much more complexity than, you know, being newlyweds, but it's a lot like around, the first time around for many newlyweds where they're super excited to join lives, but they don't necessarily know what all that is going to entail. They're also a little bit scared about that. But here it is. You've got, you know, obviously still coming along with you with that excitement. You've got fear. You've got um, hurts from, you know, what you guys had both experienced with each other. And so how did you guys begin to kind of untangle some of those things? Because many newlyweds step in and they go, oh, I didn't realize Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize what I was getting yeah. myself into, to find a new you know? Book. Yeah. And so you guys had, had to do in very much the same way, but with even more complexity mm-hmm. had to begin to untangle some of these old herds and, and, and untangle some of the rhythms that you had already created and begin to join your life up as one. What were some things that you guys did and some things you guys learned in that process? I can say some things we didn't do and I wish we had. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's just like a, an engaged couple getting ready to get married. <clears throat> I think there's so much excitement about it. Um, but I'm not sure there's enough work done ahead of time to talk about the things that we actually could struggle with. And so we moved back in, but there were a lot of things we just kind of glossed over. And I think there were some remnants of hurt um, and anger and fear was a huge one, but hurt and anger um, so there was apprehension in, I don't know if I should bring this up because that was our first marriage. Well, you made me mad in the seven years too. And so, you know, that all those things. And I think what we lacked doing initially was actually going to counseling. 
and working through some of that because, you know, our divorce was very like Jeff wanted me to go to counseling. I didn't want to go to counseling. And, you know, I just kind of plowed through and got a divorce and I was so hard hearted and I was in the middle of this affair and, and everything. So I wasn't thinking straight. I was super deceived into thinking I was on the right path. I don't know how I could have thought that, but I, I was. And, um, and I think we forgot that we actually need to go back which I think probably neither one of us wanted to do is go back to that first marriage of 10 years and talk about the things that actually uh, tore our marriage apart. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was, there was a lot of things we were doing independently, but I think the things that we were doing collectively or together were we got involved in a Sunday school class again. And we went to a couple marriage seminar type things uh, like a local church was doing, it was Pete Briscoe was doing the book, Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that, that book was really helpful. That helped us a lot. In fact, we started teaching that book in our house uh, to like four or five couples twice a year. We would do a, a little, and just in our living room. And we joke about it now because we feel like, wow, you know, the Lord had us teach that for 10 years in our house twice a year because we both needed it. <laughs> we need to read that book twice a year for 10 years in a row to get through our thick skulls, you know, but, uh, and really penetrate our hearts. And, but, you know, it was just amazing. There was a lot of little things. I go, I go to a men's Bible study and I was just learning what it was, what it meant to be the spiritual leader of your home hmm. and how to do that. And I, that was something I had not done in our first marriage And so there was opportunities to go back and do things in a different way than we previously had done. And we did take advantage of that. We worshiped together as a family. Um, You know, we're both in the word on a regular basis, you know, daily. Well, but I think like I had done a lot of reading on what it meant to be a godly wife. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot of Christian books on marriage because I wasn't introduced to that uh, until I became a Christian, which was after our divorce was final. Right. So I was studying the Bible on marriage, but I I had never lived it out. And so this was the first chance for me to live it out. And so I think there was a lot of, I, I, I feel like I'm not even sure we were that patient with each other as far as these new things that we were going to have to begin to do. And then I think the other thing is we you know, when you're divorced and you're a single parent and your kids are going back and forth with both parents, there's a there's a a bit of you you're living a single life too, um, in a sense. I don't mean like partying and stuff. I'm just meaning right. like you have your own house, you have your own space. Uh, the kids are with the you know the dad or the mom, and so it was commingling that again, where he had his own workout schedule and I had my own thing that I did this way and that. So we had to really learn how to blend that together. Yeah. For the first time, really, because before. I mean, we didn't even have conversations about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I think me trying to live out being a godly wife, I I needed a lot of direction and counsel. And so I sought that out from, you know, a couple of mentors that I felt like had a a good marriage, not a perfect marriage, but a a really good biblical marriage. And so I had to start putting that into action. So that was a whole new thing for me. And I think for you too, even though you grew up with a dad that was a, you know, a spiritual yeah. leader. Yeah. And I think some of the other things that were helpful, we, we took another class at another local church and it was uh, using uh, Paul David Tripp's book, 
uh, what was the name? Uh, instruments. instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And the subtitle was People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. And, and the book is really all about your heart. And what we, I think we both finally, we learned through that book was our issues were more heart, heart issues than anything. Like, so we were able to see some of the idols that we had in our life and try to root those out. And, you know, and as we were drawing closer to the Lord and God, we were trying to put God first in our life, you know, still, you know, something we try to do every day. You know, I don't think you ever get to check the box, you know, and all of that. And then, so, and for me, it was just taking the next logical step by faith, not not trying to figure everything out because a lot of times each day you'd wake up and there's something new you had to deal with. So you guys each kind of referred, you know, you referenced this like paradigm shift for each of you. Um, you know, Cheryl, you said uh, that you were trying to learn what it meant to be a godly wife. So you're seeking out counsel. Jeff, you said that it was a paradigm shift for you to try to think about how to be the spiritual leader of the home. I'd love to talk about each one of those. And if each one of you guys can share some of those mindset shifts that had to happen, some of the things that really had to transform in you. And what is, and what does that, what do those look like? What does it look like to be a godly wife from what yeah. you've learned? What does it look like to be a spiritual leader? Cause I think there is a lot of confusion or apprehension around that, uh, especially in today's culture. Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the leadership. So for me, um, I was pretty independent prior to that, you know, and I, and I was growing that way, you know, in, in my independence and, but I was leading my girls during the divorce. And part of that, you know, I read a book, Tender Warrior by Stu Weber mm-hmm. and then Steve Farrar's Point Man. Those two books helped me a lot. And one thing I remember from Tender uh, Warrior was he, he says in that book that for us men, we're to have a vision for our family. And then once you create the vision for your family, it's your responsibility to, to create opportunities for that vision to become a reality. Mm. And so one of my visions, obviously, is I wanted our girls to grow, to know the Lord and to trust him with all their heart, you know, and so what did that look like? Well, the Sunday school answer is get them to church and have them go to Sunday school. But I realized probably, probably maybe for the first time in my life that the primary responsibility for that was me, you know, that fell on my shoulders. And so, you know, leading them in devotionals at the house, talk, what do we talk about when we're sitting around our dinner table. We, we made it a point to have meals together every night, you know, our meals together. And we had a round table and we invited discussion and we talked about, you know, what was the most impactful thing that happened in your life today? What was the most challenging thing that happened in your life today? And so we were talking to the girls about these kinds of issues when they were 11, 12, you know, all the way through from there. And so having intentional conversations at dinner time having intentional, you know, let, you know, I didn't go into my room and shut the door. When I was studying the Bible, I would stay at the kitchen table. So when they got up in the morning, came in for breakfast, they saw me Hmm. and, you know, just things like that. And then, um, we, I don't know what you want to add to that, but like we were involved in it. We got really active in a local church, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I didn't grow up in home where we talked about the Bible. Um, I went to church all my, all my growing up, but we didn't talk about the Bible. And so for me, it was learning the key passages, first Peter three. And it's interesting how the Bible has six verses for the wife and one for the man, for the husband. And then of course, Ephesians five on respect. Uh, no one had ever talked to me about, I'm supposed to respect my husband and 
I felt like I was a good person and I felt like I was a nice person, but that isn't what it was talking about. Mm. It was talking about submission. And, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about, and I work with a lot of women on, you know, what submission really means. And so I learned what it meant. And I, I never felt threatened by the issue of submission. In fact, I think me being an oldest, me being a type A perfectionist, uh, I could be the perfect example of someone that did struggle with submission, but I wanted leadership deep down in my heart. And I could take care of myself. I could, I mean, I put myself through college. I worked from a very young age, so I knew how to take care of myself, but I wanted a man to be my, to be my leader. So yeah. submission for me <laughs> wasn't, wasn't a, a bad thing. And so I was really learning how to do that. But the, where the challenge came or the rub came was that, you know, I can be aggressive and I can be, um, I can lead. I know how to lead. And so I would have to, I struggle with that. I mean, I still do sometimes. And just being able to be under his leadership and let him guide me, it doesn't mean we're not equals. Jeff always comes to me and asks my opinion and things like that. But literally studying the word submission and what that means for us as women. And then he goes on to say, you know, I mean, this could be a whole uh, sermon here, but, you know, it talks about, that if your husband is not obeying the word, i.e. the word of God, that he may be won, W-O-N, by the conduct of his wife of respectful and pure conduct. And as a type A, somewhat, I've relaxed a little bit since I'm in my 60s now, but a control freak back then, I would feel like, um, I wanted to control everything. And that then goes back to Genesis 3, where, you know, the curse on the woman is to try to control her husband the rest of her life. And so I was struggling with that a bit. And so I I just would, I still, I mean, I still pray about that. I think I always kind of laugh. I'm like, well, you know, God put this in here for a reason because he knew we were going to struggle with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, and then the whole gentle and quiet spirit thing. I mean, you know, I think when women are fearful uh, and they feel like they, um, you know, when they're fearful, I would say for the most part and not protected, they feel like they have to control. And so it's hard to have a gentle and quiet spirit when you're in a fearful or controlling type of uh, mindset. So it's, you know, understanding that the man is there to be a protector and a provider. And that's not just financially, that is emotionally, spiritually, physically, everything. And so when a man is, you know, Jeff doesn't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly, but I know that's his goal. And he knows that what I just talked about is my goal. And so we're there for each other in grace to be able to support each other in that calling that God has. So that's the biggest difference, I think, in our first marriage and our second marriage, because we weren't living scripture out. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, the gentle and quiet spirit thing. And then if you go down to verse six, it talks about you know, that the, you know, Sarah and the women of old, um, you know, they often gave way to fear. And so that's why we're to depend on God because we need God to help us with this Mm -hmm. because otherwise we give way to fear. That's a natural response for women. And then the whole respect thing, um, you know, I didn't watch in my growing up, I didn't see a lot of respect for a husband. Um, And so I didn't, I had no idea what that meant. So it wasn't modeled. And it wasn't modeled for me. So, 
yeah, so those are the biggest things for me, I feel like. Yeah. And she talked about the first Peter three passage and, um, and it is kind of humorous that there's six verses to the ladies and, but only one to us guys, but I feel like ours is even more challenging because mm. it says live with your wife in an understanding way. Well, I, the first time I read that, I'm like, seriously, <laughs> like that could take me a lifetime to live with her in an understanding way. But that, that's part of the point is like, that's part of my goal is to get my PhD in Cheryl, you know, and that's ever changing, ever evolving. So live with her in an understanding way, treating her as the weaker vessel. And part of that is, yeah, physically she's weaker than, than I am. But it's not just that. It's emotionally and spiritually and positionally. And so when I thought about all that, you know, and just, you know, I took that seriously. Like I want to lead her spiritually. Well, I had to change my routine because like I, it, I took it as a challenge when I wake up and she's already in her chair reading God's word and journaling. Like I, I'm, I got to lead this lady, right? So I need to bring my A game. So, you know, I took that as a healthy challenge to really dive into God's word and make sure that I was sitting under some healthy men that were wiser than me and that were strong in their understanding of God's word. And that helped me immensely, still does today. I still have mentors that are older and and wiser than me. I know you're looking at me thinking that's impossible, but it's true. (laughs) And and then yet join heirs. Cheryl talked about this, uh, but God still sees us as joint heirs or he still sees us as equals. And so, and that's important. So, because I want to live selflessly, even though I'm selfish by nature. So I have, that's, that's a challenge every day to try to put her needs in front of mine because I'm a, I'm a selfish dude. So I want the things I want when I want them. But the reality is I had to, I had to change. And, and so, uh, well, you know, one thing I would say to the women that are listening that maybe you're thinking, Oh, I wish my husband would lead spiritually. I was just about to ask you that question. That's great. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Or if, (laughs) if, you know, maybe um, she's more mature than he is or something like that. And what I didn't know is that me sitting in my chair when Jeff got up studying God's word, uh, I didn't even know that that was challenging him. And so I guess my point in that is I was just doing my thing. And I, I, did, I have to say, I did wonder um, when he spent time with the Lord and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm not talking about this in a legalistic way. It was just, that was just, I'm still doing the same thing and it's 28 years later or something like that. You're still wondering? No. Well, yeah, I'm still wondering. No, no, I'm still, you know, I still do the same habits. I still get up and that's kind of my first thing. And, and I'm not saying you have to get up in the morning and do that. I'm just saying, have a time with the Lord, you know? And so I didn't realize he was being challenged by that, but I was a little frustrated. But what I realized in the whole first Peter three thing, that's what I was talking about is, that by example, I was showing him that not, you know, threatening him or, you know, trying to drill it down his throat or trying to lead. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really even realize that I was doing that. But once I learned the first Peter three passage, I, I, I did know that. Hi, Nothing Is Wasted family. I'm cutting into this interview to tell you about our June bonus episode with Michelle Kashat. Michelle was just on episode 113 and her episode was so moving, we knew we had to bring her back ASAP to talk to us more. 
In this bonus episode with Michelle, she uses her immense experience with tragedy and trauma to help us learn how to dig out of despair. If you or someone you know feels like you're in a place of despair, we believe this conversation with Michelle will be incredibly helpful to you. Just go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Listen in now to a clip of my conversation with Michelle. So we're kind of in an unprecedented season mm-hmm. in our world and nation. And uh, what I have found, what's interesting to me, even though these experiences that we're having now may be completely unrelated to our previous wounds and trauma, what it does is it, it's kind of like sticking a finger in the wound. It's stirring yeah. things up and it's poking at it again. Yeah. And so what I have found, and I, the reason I want to preface this conversation with this is I have found that those of us who have had hard things in our past, anywhere in our past, which is pretty much the vast majority of us, if we've had hard things and you're noticing that you seem to be taking some steps backwards right now Mm. in your own healing journey, you're not really going backwards. It's just the reality of the current trauma is stirring up the memories of your prior trauma and it's just adding to your stress level. You know, Christy and I have kind of worked through some of this. My wife and I, we've kind of had to work a lot of uh, through a lot of this because we both came into our marriage joining uh, two very separate lives after me, after loss, her after divorce. And so we found ourselves in a, not as long of a period, but a similar situation where we're both living lives independently and then having to figure out how to realign things. And, you know, yeah. she's really wrestled with what does that look like now as she was kind of leading her home spiritually while she was a, a divorcee because she was it was just her and then her daughter and what does that look like now to quote unquote submit to my spiritual leadership and we've and we've had to walk through a lot of these different types of conversations and what is this what does this exactly mean and what does it mean in today's context uh, is God's word God's word and what is it, you know, is it, is it pervasive through every culture? And it is, but you know, it's important to have these types of conversations and and flesh it out on on how it works out with you as a couple, because just to your point, Jeff, you know, as a leader, if you're a leader of an organization, leader, a CEO of of an organization, it is your role to um, really, especially if it's a Christian organization to hear from God, the direction and vision of the organization, but it's not your job to make every decision. You make those decisions with your team. And I imagine as you guys are helping couples, you're helping couples to become a team, make decisions together under the spiritual uh, leadership of, you know, uh, uh, of, of the husband and the vision that he is beginning to set. And I love that thing that you said earlier, Jeff, about this, this book that you talked about, The Tender Warrior, yeah. Of setting a vision for your family and then figuring out how do we how do we create opportunities for our family to walk in that vision. Right. And I think that's such a great summary of what it looks like to to lead a family because it gives people a canvas to paint on and go, yeah. well, there's a lot of different ways I could do this. It doesn't mean I have to doesn't mean that I have to every morning lead family devotions and 
but there's other different other ways that I can help lead my family into this vision that God has given for us spiritually. Right. Uh, you know, I also wonder too, if you guys are, uh, if you kind of go to the other end of the extreme, Cheryl, I, I wonder what you would say about this. Um, as you've worked with, with couples, as you've worked with women who maybe they are in a situation where it seems like their husband might be abusing that position or title. How do you help them sort through if that's the case? How do you help them sort through responding to that? You know, this whole idea of kind of, uh, cause it can, it can definitely get out of hand where a, a husband, you know, uses or abuses that positional quote unquote spiritual authority to control as well or to manipulate. Right. I would say that this is where a lot of prayer comes in. And I think having mentors that can walk alongside you, um, because I know a lot of women that their husbands will never go to counseling. And so they're still in this. And so it's, it's a really, really tough place to be. But I've also seen the word of God played out in really miracles happening by, you know, there's a, a great book. <laughs> I carried it around for years. It was, it's called the power of the praying wife. Mm-hmm. It yeah. tells you how to pray for your husband. And man, I mean, I can't say enough about the power of prayer. And I think, you know, the evidence that I have, the first huge evidence of the whole prayer and how it plays out in your life is our whole reconciliation started in prayer. Mm-hmm. And God had me on my knees for seven years and, and it was not easy. <laughs> and I gave up, I mean, Matt Chandler has asked me before in interviews, you know, how long did you give up ever in the seven years? I'm like, yeah, at least 200 times. I don't know. But God kept bringing me back mm-hmm. to my knees. And, you know, that's just a powerful thing. We, sh- we shouldn't take that for granted. Can I speak to the men on that one though, a little bit? So I think one of the things that's so yeah. important first is to get involved in some kind of men's community type community. Yeah. And for some guys that might sound really bad, like horrible, like that's the last thing they want to do. But I would challenge you there. Cause I know for me, I was a little nervous about that really getting close to any guys that would know what's going on deep, dark and you know, in my heart. But when I finally did get involved in a group like that and started sharing some of my struggles and some of the things that even were my dark thoughts my mind would go to and stuff like that, they didn't judge me. In fact, they related to me and they, they loved on me through that. And I, it, was, it was almost the opposite of what I, I thought I was going to get. And so what that did was that encouraged me to talk to them even more. And so then I developed yeah. two or three Christian men that were, I'm super close to. And if we're in a, if we're in a challenge, like if, if I'm being a little rough with Cheryl or like maybe I've yelled at her or something like that, she knows she can go talk to any one of those guys. And she has done it before. <laughs> and they have come to me and said, Hey, Jeff, we need to talk, you know, you know, as brothers sit down and talk about it. And they, and it was, I want her to feel like she can do that. They're on my emergency know, contact list. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I know that, um, you know, that I, sometimes I'm out of line and I have some dark, you know, some blind spots. And so. Well, I think even with men, the, the three yeah. biggest struggles, what are they? Well, this is my own philosophy. I mean, yeah. you know, pride, greed, and lust. We, we all struggle with that just in varying degrees. And so, you know, and to have other guys that you can be honest with about that, and that can speak into your life and you can, you can actually hear them is so important. 
mm-hmm. and you can do the same thing for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Kind of going back to something you guys have both kind of alluded to, but also Cheryl, you, you really mentioned is the idea that submission and setting boundaries is right. not mutually exclusive. You know, this, this is important to, to understand, like, if you're if you're a, a woman who you f- you're in a situation where you feel like this you know your husband is kind of lording this over you which by the way is completely yeah. opposite yeah. of what Jesus right. said leadership was right then he tells disciples like yeah. that you know the pagans they're going to lord leadership over you leadership really if you want to be the leader among people you need mm-hmm. to be last and so if you're a woman and you're in that situation it is still okay to humbly walk in submission right. while setting boundaries and and watch God move in powerful ways in your in your um relationship mm-hmm. as you trust him. How did you guys um how did the girls handle this whole yeah. transition, you know, the, over the over the first few years of this and I'm, I imagine it was an adjustment to them or maybe they were just like this is amazing, let's go. You know what what did that look like especially as you guys, you know, Maybe take it two ways. How did the girls handle it? And then how did you guys begin to handle a new form of yeah. Yeah. co-parenting? You know, you know? I think the, the thing <laughs> with them is, so we divorced when they were four. We have twin daughters. They're now 31. So that's, <laughs> we divorced when they were four, mm-hmm. got back together when they were 11. They were going into uh, junior high school. And, you know, I think it was, well, it was great. They were like the parent trap kids, seriously. For real. Yeah. They prayed for all those years and they, so it was awesome. And then little remnants of things. And this is one thing I was going to bring up because I think it's important uh, at some point, but let me talk, talk about the girls first. So there were remnants of things because they were hurt in this whole thing. Mm. And there were, there was pain for them. Like, you know, they were super happy. I mean, it was really incredible for them, but there were things in their little hearts and at 11 and 12 years old, they didn't really know how to process. But as they got into their, you know, later junior high and high school years, even college, they started to realize, wow, I'm, I was a little hurt too. I had to go back and forth to dad and mom's house, even though dad and mom were great parents, you know, we had to do that. And that, we didn't really like that 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 much. And then, of course, when they were little, you know, in elementary school, a big deal would be if one shirt was at dad's and the pants were at mom's. I mean, things like that. But they had to process some of this hurt. And, you know, there was some uh, resentment in them, and especially towards me, of course. Um, and so that was really tough. And I think, you know, for me, a big thing that I carried into this whole thing was um, the insecurity of the resentment that all three of them had towards me. Because our girls knew the story. And of course, then it went very, very public. And then, of course, we have a book and everything now. But, you know, that was very hard for them to know their mom for who she was but going through most of it when they were in elementary years, when they didn't understand relationships at all to getting into, into high school and dating a little bit. And then of course, college and understanding relationships even more. And of course, you know, Brittany and Sean have been married for 10 years now and Lauren and Jason have been married for five, but now being in a real relationship with a spouse and, you know, they can relate to a lot of things, but you know, um, 
one of our girls had a harder struggle with me than the other one. And that was really hard for me. I, I was like super embarrassed in front of my kids in, in what had happened and what I had done. And, you know, to be honest, I was super um, embarrassed for myself because I never dreamed that I would ever go down a path like that. And it would be hard to explain to your kids like why it happened. Um, you know, bottom line of it, and I think we talked about it in the, in the first interview, but you know, it was a really huge lack of emotional connection in our marriage. I wasn't looking for an affair. It wasn't where I was going or what I had planned on or had some big, you know, escape clause, you know, or whatever. It was just, I was at a vulnerable place and, I, and someone, I connected with someone and that's how that all came down, which is how most affairs happen. But it was super embarrassing in front of my kids. And I struggled a lot with, you know, hoping that they would forgive me. Um, and so that, that took a while for me and both have offered me a lot of grace and we, you know, we're a really close family and, uh, and all of that. We've been through a lot together as a family. And, but I think one of the things I wanted to say to women is that I think there's some fear in, if you notice, I keep bringing up fear and I bring that up for a reason because in that first Peter three, six passage, it says that, um, the women of old, they had to be careful not to give way to fear. And my fear in the first marriage was actually bring up how hurt I was and how lonely I was. And so it's really important for women to either get some counseling to help you get through the fear to maybe address your husband. Jeff had no idea. Like he literally thought we had a perfect marriage because I acted like we had a perfect marriage and I, you know, so that was a big deal. I feel like, and so the girls, uh, that, that was a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think it's them also trusting me, um, and probably trusting me more than they would have to trust Jeff because at least back then, you know, it was kind of like I was the bad person. He was the good person. Mom failed, you know, him and all that kind of stuff. It was tough, tough stuff. I mean, I don't carry around guilt and shame now, but I did for a, a long time. Yeah, I want to. I want to ask you about that too. But I think that was. I want to remark. That's a really great point. That it's important for women, especially, to communicate their needs in that. And I imagine Jeff, you would agree that for men, it's important for us to um, listen and understand in that, and not get defensive, because it can be very easy when your wife communicates to you. Hey, here's what I'm feeling right now for you to be like, well, that's, that's not true. Cause that's not, ha- that's not happening, you know, cause, cause I'm, I'm, I'm loving you really well. You know, that's, you're like, well, let, let's <laughs> listen and let's, let's understand, let's reflect back and let's see how we can really, um, help her to, you know, help to meet these needs. But I, Cheryl, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but a little bit of that shame journey. How did you overcome that? How did you begin to walk in just that freedom? of Christ's forgiveness Mm -hmm. and the forgiveness of your family members? You know, I came to know the Lord when I was 33 and I got intellectually, I got the concept. Like I knew I was forgiven. I knew what Christ had done. I understood the gospel, but I think it was getting it from here to really owning it. Like, wow, Jesus paid the price for all my sins. And that includes the adultery. And 
that wasn't the only thing I failed in in my marriage. You know, that was the big thing. And so there's not levels of sin. It was just, wow, God, I mean, Jesus took on so much for me. And so I, I think it was Jeff and I understanding, because a lot of people say, well, Cheryl, I mean, you know, you did all these things and Jeff just kind of la di da di da Well, I mean, I had a lot of anger towards him that he couldn't pick up on that I was struggling, you know, or things like that. <laughs> and he was trying to change my personality in the first marriage and things like that. I had a lot of stuff buried in there. So I would doubt myself, but also felt shame for my thoughts because I started feeling really lonely in year two. Jeff and I did not divorce until I had an affair at year eight. We didn't divorce till year 10. In those six years from two to eight, I was always talking myself into what's really not that bad. Well, I, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, I, I shouldn't expect more than I'm, you know, wanting and things like that. And so it was, it was difficult living with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want, I'm curious as to what you guys would say to, um, let's say there's a, a couple out there, their marriage is hanging on by a thread right now. Um, and let's also speak to maybe a, the couple that is divorced or separated right now, but uh, at least one mm-hmm. party's hanging on to hope. How, how would you, if you were sitting across the table, you know, with, with some individuals in those contexts, what would you say to them right now based on what you guys have experienced? So I, I would start out by saying, go get help. And, and I would say get biblical counseling help or a trusted pastoral type care program. Um, and why I think that's so important, because there's just so many things like once we understood God's plan, we could both admit where we had gone wrong and then ask for forgiveness and accept God's forgiveness and the grace that he offers us and really believe some of his truths. Like with him, all things are possible, <laughs> you know, and it's really true. And like sometimes we still we've been remarried. This is, a, is our 21st year. And sometimes I wake up in the morning like, is this real? Like, is this really, is this for real? And just knowing that God can do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or imagine. And he really can. And then, and we, we are examples of that, you know, read some good books. I mean, we love some of the, uh, you know, read our book, but read uh, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, <laughs> like get in a group and do it. I think it's, there's so much value when you're in a small group and you can hear some of the the struggles that other people have uh, experienced and maybe even have overcome and then believing that you, you are an overcomer, you know, and knowing that, and like all of us are meant to grow. You know, once you've accepted Christ, then you enter this period called progressive sanctification where you're growing closer to him. And like, we can talk about some of our struggles in life because we know that's not where we are now. We have different struggles now, mm-hmm. but we, we continue to grow closer and close, closer to the Lord. And that's our focus every day to grow closer to him. And so, you know, I don't want this to sound like some Sunday school thing because we're, we want to help. So, I mean, we want to help that couple if they're here listening to this, you know, mm-hmm. contact us. Um, you know, there, and I'm sure there's, gr- I mean, I know of other great resources. Like we love all of Paul Tripp's books. Mm-hmm. The guy is amazing. 
I mean, he's so helpful. One of his marriage seminars is incredible. He just has a new one out now. Mm-hmm. And it's a four-part series. And we've listened to the first two. And I'm like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. After each one, I'm like, I still got, I get to do more work. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> I want to grow, I want to grow closer to her. Mm-hmm. I want our hearts to be knit together, you know? And so that's an exciting thing. And so I, get the help, go get the help and know that it can be a hundred times better. Well, and the, the couple that has, you know, one, one's hanging on, one's out the door or someone's hoping, hoping or you know, whatever. There's a lot of groups out there yeah. of people that are helping to support each other and all that. But I think the biggest thing, that's part of the reason that our ministry is named Hope Matters Marriage Ministries, because most people lose hope that it can be any different. And we're here to tell them (laughs) that if you really dig into the scriptures and you pray, of course, we don't know the outcome. I wish we could, I wish we could do it for everyone, but you know, you can pray and get help and understand all this stuff. And there really is hope. And I mean, I know there's plenty of situations and we hear about them every day that it's not working out. It it just isn't, but you know, we can't control what people do, but there's also, we get a lot of contact from people that, you know, we saw your story on I am second, or someone told us about what happened with you guys and you were divorced for seven years and oh my gosh, you're back together. What? you know, we might want to, you know, pursue that. And so we work with a lot of couples across the country that are divorced already and trying to get back together. You know, there's a passage in Romans 12, 12, that says rejoice in the hope, be be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Mm -hmm. And our hope is in Christ. Mm -hmm. So Cheryl was talking about shame and, you know, how she struggled with some of that. But for me, it was like really believing God's word in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that was a powerful verse for me because I could see that she was not the same person. And the reality was neither was I Mm -hmm. as we were both growing closer to the Lord. Yeah. That's huge. That's so powerful. It's powerful for, you know, yeah, you individually, but also for your marriage, you know, the old marriage the one that didn't work out, it's gone. But the new one's here, and by the power of Jesus, it's it's a fresh and renewed one. Every single day, uh, you're waking up, and and this is a resurrected marriage, and God's doing some really powerful things, not just in you guys, but through you guys. So we're we're so appreciative of what you guys are doing in the world and how you're impacting marriages all over the country. Appreciate what you're doing as well. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for thanks for joining me for uh, part two and for sharing your story with our. Nothing is Wasted family. It's so great to have you guys on. Thanks for having us. That second part did not disappoint. No, so much good stuff. Yeah, that was really good. Really good. So wise. I love that this is their ministry and their heart for married couples. It's so needed. So needed. Yeah. Well, you know, I think some of the things that I, I, I was really reflecting on in terms of this is, you know, one, their journey of reconciliation, journey of forgiveness. I think oftentimes we get asked mm-hmm. the question, does, does forgiveness mean that I don't, you know, set boundaries or what, you know, mm-hmm. do I now just let this person fully in when trust needs to be built? And, you know, obviously you, you have some thoughts on this, but I definitely think that especially when you're rebuilding trust, there needs to be 
boundaries that are put in place and that needs to take some time for those boundaries to begin to open up. Um, but -hmm. I think in general, it's healthy for married couples, although you're one, you're intimate, you're, you know, you are one heartbeat soul to also make sure that you're not, um, being robbed of your own personhood as well. Yes. Yes. Even in a marriage that doesn't have betrayal, we all bring in our own baggage and then we end up that baggage or that pain or whatever it is that shaped us negatively that can very easily come out onto the other person um, in a way that doesn't honor them, doesn't see them and it can create this dynamic. And then, you know, years down the road, you're like, why are we so unhealthy? How did this happen? So Mm. the boundaries I feel like are just the guardrails that, are necessary to keep in place so that we, um, yeah, I guess don't infringe all of that onto the other person in a way that just sets our marriage on a really tough track. Yeah. And, you know, I think just in general in relationships with each other, like community relationships, platonic, non-platonic relationships, marital relationships, friendships, whatever it is that you're talking about, you've got to make sure that one, you, you are creating unity and community with each other. Yeah. But also you have to make sure that that unity doesn't rob you again of your personhood. Unity mm-hmm. happens. The beauty of unity that takes place in marriage, not marriage, whatever. It, the beauty of unity is that each person comes with a completely different experience, different vantage point, different, you know, views on yes. things. To, and and they're utterly different from each other. And yet there is a work in progress to bring the two into one, especially when we're talking about a marriage context. Mm-hmm. That's what's so beautiful about unity. Yeah. You know? It is. And especially for somebody like me, so I'm a one, but I have a lot of nine qualities in me. I've seen this be also crucial. I am so, connection is so valuable to Mm -hmm. me that before all of this happened, I think it's easy for people like this who struggle with the same thing to almost lose ourselves to the connection because we value it so highly. And that is another way that like the boundaries protect. Right. That is, uh, yeah, we don't want to lose ourselves to that. We want this to be a beautiful um, coming together of who we both are. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is something I've struggled with all the way up until what happened with us. So I love what what all they shared. And, um, yeah, so before we go, I just want to say thank you to Ryan from Sleeping at Last for all the music he's provided for the Nothing is Wasted podcast and for all the moments he's provided music for my own life and my own family's memories because it's been quite a lot. So true. It's beautiful music. Uh, well, yeah. while we're thinking Sleeping at Last, Carissa, we also want to thank you oh, thanks. for joining us on this. This has been a fantastic month of having you on. Not just month. We also extended it all the way to June 1st. So just to, Hey, I made it, into, made June. it into June. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was I so great to have you. I truly loved it. Oh, yeah. So great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It means a lot. I have just enjoyed these conversations. These episodes have blown me away. Hmm. Um, so I have just, yeah, I've really enjoyed my time. So thank you so much for having me. Well, next week we have an incredible episode because it's the third birthday episode for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I cannot believe that Nothing Is Wasted podcast is three years old. Blows my mind. Would have never thought that when we started this whole thing. And um, so we've got a special one for you. Why don't you listen to this little clip from our Nothing Is Wasted third birthday episode releasing next week.
Uh, so, you know, we going into the fall of 2015, after we had kind of relaunched, we had, we were running, touching over just about a hundred people weekly. And we were thinking, wow, we're actually, there's momentum. Like we're actually starting yeah. to, this is this thing that got us birthed. It's starting to, to move. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember going away on a retreat at the end of October with our team. And, uh, it was like a planning strategy retreat. And one of the, a very profound moment was we did a little like worship night together to kind of prepare our hearts for the strategy. And we're all huddled up in this old fitness room and praying and the Holy spirit fell in that room in just a really profound way. We all felt it. Um, we kind of leave some space open for prayer and Amanda started praying and she prayed this really big prayer of like surrender is what the Hmm. theme felt like. And then it prompted all these other prayers of surrender. And I felt so heavy with what was happening in that room that I, I, I went to the center of that room and just dropped to my knees and just, we were, as we're as we're praying and worshiping, I just prayed, Lord, I just feel like you're telling us that we're moving into a season of surrender. And so we do, mm-hmm. we surrender. Wow. Whatever this is you have for us, we surrender. And um, that was the weekend before uh, November 10th. 